Those t-shirts don't iron themselves, mate. Those, oh, those... Do you iron t-shirts? Yeah, don't you? I just walk around in creased t-shirts. And we know. Iron. <laughs> we had to buy you an iron. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, you didn't. That's, that's hyperbole. I bought myself for the iron. I, uh, oh, I, I, I got a collection to buy you an iron. And have, you, have you ever looked at me and thought, God, these t-shirts creased, you should have really ironed that? Yes. I've had to check my contact lenses and be like, is he f- fuzzy or blurry? He's like, no, no, he's just wearing is he wearing a t-shirt t-shirt? or is that just a rag? Bunch <laughs> of wankers. Bunch of absolute wankers. <laughs> Duck up. <laughs> Alex, you brought it up to be fair. You know, I did. Yeah, yeah, you, did. you like fr- threw an I did ask you. I basically asked you to insult me there. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Joel. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. And our Halloween Horror Month continues. And just like a nightmare on Elm Street, this episode will start off as a pleasant dream before quickly turning into a nightmare. Now, all throughout October, each one of the films on Trial Gang will be putting a horror film on trial that they found to be personally unsettling. So today, it is the turn of Ozzy. Now, Ozzy, can you briefly tell us why you picked this film without liking it to another film, talking about the fonts used in the credits and or telling us about how it inspired you to take up a hobby before realizing that you're talking about a different film altogether? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm absolutely honest. I think all four of those things uh, are, 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 would need to be mentioned for why I've chose it. Like this is the. It came out in the early '80s. That font was absolutely <laughs> pinnacle, the pinnacle of, uh, of of TV TV stationery at the time. I really wanted to take up uh, working in a boiler room afterwards. <laughs> so uh, it, it just genuinely it, it just scared me. Like I watched it when I was too young. And it just absolutely scared me. And I stayed away from horror movies ever since. Oh, wow. So uh, it felt like the right one to pick if we were doing things that have uh, moved us. And I, I will say, well done to Ozzy as well. as taking this very seriously today. So to celebrate putting A Nightmare on Elm Street on trial, he's come dressed as Pamela Voorhees from Friday the 13th. <laughs> <laughs> So today we're going to find out if A Nightmare on Elm Street is a towering oak or a weeping willow. Essentially, is this film going to be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list? Now, before we go on, our last film on trial was Eden Lake. And Alex judged that trial and deemed that it should be placed on the hit list, even though it was my Halloween Horror Month choice. So Alex has since gone away and he's watched the film. So did he make the right choice, Alex? Yes, I did. You picked a good one, Gav. Finally, you picked a good one. <laughs> it is, uh, it's just a very good film. It was, uh, it was very scary. It's one of the scarier and more unsettling films I've watched in a while. I, I initially thought I was going to get all up in arms about the hoodie horror shit and the gang youth stuff. But actually, it's very, it's well done. And I like the way the other youths in the group 
like are against and like you know and worried and stuff like that that saves the film a bit they're not all just a bunch of little monsters mm-hmm. so yeah no it's a it's a very good horror film i didn't enjoy it and you're all right i'm never gonna watch it again but <laughs> horrific like an actual horrific film so uh yeah fair play gav like well done so i i will i will say that it does feel very weird to have alex compliment me on my choice of horror film <laughs> <laughs> i don't think it's going to continue long after this though but now on to the trial. All of the roles have been picked out of the hat. At, well, not all of them. Ozzy's obviously going to be defending it, but the rest of the roles were picked out of the hat at random. So acting in defense and trying to get this film placed on the hit list will be the Kevin Costner defending dream team of Ozzy and Dave. And uh, guys, once again, I've just picked classic horror movie villains here. So Ozzy is just like Pinhead. He wears a lot of black, has several piercings, and even though he's pretty gross... There is still something inexplicably sexy about him. <laughs> and they're not my words, but the words of your girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> but she finds Pinhead sexy. Uh, no, Ozzy. Uh, and she, she even shuddered when she said it as well. Um, and Dave is just like the shark from Jaws. He doesn't appreciate other people's wood. Uh, <laughs> I still have flashbacks to those rings that he left on my uh, on my TV cabinet. Oh, that that house fire you had where I wasn't there, that one. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list will be the Tunnel Visions horror movie team of Alex and Joel. Alex. (laughs) The Tunnel Visions horror movie team. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a bit bit of a tongue twister, but uh, I think it gets the point across. Now, Alex is a lot like Chucky from Child's Play. He's an educational tool for children, and even when he's really, really angry, he still looks adorable. <laughs> and uh, Joel, you did actually inspire me about this one uh, on your from your comments from last week. So Joel is just like Ash from The Evil Dead. That right hand of his has seen a lot of action. (laughs) (laughs) Just like like real cause advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, though, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear what they really think. Now, this week, I will be playing the most important role as I'll be playing the judge, and I have to decide which list this film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to me and not using my own opinion. And I'm just like Dracula in desperate need of a blood transfusion. <laughs> and, uh, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's funny because it's true and it's very upsetting. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, before we get started, I think we should give the audience a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is about. I would say let's spin the wheel of impressions, but we all know that Ozzy is going to do the impression. So, Ozzy! <laughs> Here we, uh, here we read off the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. Ozzy, how would we like Ozzy to, to read out the synopsis? I think I mean, it's an easy one this week, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty easy, isn't it? So, Not Ozzy, Johnny Depp, no. <laughs> no, no. So, Ozzy, would you please read out the synopsis of the film in the style of Freddy Krueger? I will try. The monstrous spirit of a slain child murderer seeks revenge by invading the dreams of teenagers whose parents were responsible for his untimely death. Mm, that's probably scary than Freddy, to be honest. Yeah. 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 No, no, that was all right. Yeah, yeah. No, I thought that was all right. It sounded like he needed to cough up a lot of phlegm, but apart from <laughs> that... Doesn't it? that's, that's kind of how he sounds anyway. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so it's, I was going to say, would you like to please kick off proceedings? But it's me, and I'm going to kick things off. And Ozzy, very briefly, <laughs> tell us why this is a good film. Give me a little bit of an overview. It's been, I'm not going to lie to you, I have watched Nightmare on Elm Street, but it's been a long time since I've watched it. Has it not been just like a year since you last watched it? Is no, it no, like actually, no, no. Halloween film. No, no. I, I've, so I bought the box sets on Blu-ray like a couple of years back, and I've been trying to coerce my, my wife into watching them with me, but she has just taken one look at the box set and a bit like Alex and Joel, <laughs> she's just said, no. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, so I haven't had the opportunity to watch it back recently, so it has been, a, 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 I'm going to say, about 20 years since I've watched it, so I can't really remember too much about it. So please refresh my memory. Tell me what happens uh, very briefly and then also why you think it's a very good film, why it should be placed on the hit list. Well, I mean, I mean, I only, I literally only watched it again yesterday. But it starts with um, who, who you think was going to be the main uh, protagonist. And uh, she has this nightmare in which she's chased by a man, something, you know, you don't really know very much about him. And then she gets hurt in the dream. You know, she has this crazy, crazy nightmare. And then um, her dress is all ripped when she wakes up. She's telling the others about it in school the next day, her friends. And they're all sort of looking a little bit sheepish. Everyone's had a similar uh, similar dream, but nobody really wants to talk about it too much. And then she's too scared to go back to sleep, um, sleep on her own. Cue uh, classic American film sleepover. When she's uh, in bed next, she gets absolutely horrifically murdered. Uh, in bed, and everybody thinks it's her, um, her good for Classic nothing. American sleepover. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, everybody thinks it's her, um, her good for nothing boyfriend has done it because he's, a, you know, he's a again classic, classic bit, American daddy. He's got his, uh, he's got a switchblade and everything. And so he has a knife. Uh, he's a bit of a troublemaker. Naturally, everyone thinks it's him. Easiest story, except for it, it wasn't him. And uh, and and. Yeah, so you have the big shock that she dies. The person you think is the star of the movie, she's dead uh, pretty straight in. So now we move on to the, the next, to the actual star of the movie. She's, um, she starts panicking because she was in a dream. She saw that she saw like Freddy Krueger. You don't know who he is all the way through the movie. You know, you don't know who he is for a huge chunk of this. So he's just a mysterious killer who's operating at night. You know, everyone's genuinely quite scary that you could die at sleep and you, there's no other way around it. She's, um, she then learns how to, she, she comes up with a plan to, uh, to, to fight him, basically. She sort of realizes that she can bring things back with her by accident from the dream world into the real world. Then she, she decides to uh, approach him. Somebody says something which causes her to think, yeah, we have to take him head on. Um, and then learns how to set some booby traps and capture Freddy Krueger, basically to try and uh, trick him into killing him all over again. And, you know, what, what essentially is just a genuinely scary film i thought um, it's hard to describe much more than that because that's the the plot is that they go on the, the rampage to try and everyone's trying to stay awake so they don't get killed in the sleep mm-hmm. and eventually she uh incises him out nobody believes her because it's a crazy story um and she um she brings him out sets fire to him at the end and uh they kill him off or so okay. you think sounds sounds good I particularly like the fact that they've killed off what you think is going to be the protagonist very early on a bit of a Hitchcockian thing to do, Janet Lee psycho sort of thing. Alex, I can see with the very long blinks there that you're very <laughs> dismayed by all of this. <laughs> so, uh, why is this not a good film? Why is Ozzy completely full of shit? Well, I wouldn't like to say that anyone's full of shit. I'm, I'd, I'd like, I'd rather be a bit more polite than that. Ozzy's 
Ozzy's just mistaken in his beliefs, <laughs> I would say. Uh, Alex, it, I will say that you will get marked down if you don't insult the uh, the defence. Damn it. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll try and come up with something as it goes on. You're a fucker, Gav. No, shit. No, sorry, got it. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, it's... Um, you know, I didn't think... I, I think you knew that Tina's going to get it. You know, she's the first one. You know, the problem is that Friday, you know, Friday the 13th probably started off... Um, no, sorry, Nightmare on Elm Street probably started a lot of these uh, tropes and these sort of things where, you know, you have the teenagers and they're all killed. Probably started a lot of that. But the problem is we're watching it now in 2021. And when you look back on it, you can see all of these things coming from a mile away. So you sort of know Tina's going to get it pretty early on. I wasn't that shocked. And then, you know, the film just sort of... Um, this is the first time I'd seen it. I've never seen Nightmare on Elm Street until I watched it the other night. And I was surprised at how sort of simple a story was, really. I, I, I got a little bit bored. You know, you hear about Freddy Krueger and you know that he's this huge, in cinema, one of the biggest sort of horror villains of all time. And I actually found his bits were quite interesting. But there's an awful lot of time the film spends on the most dull characters. Like, Nancy's a fine character, but she's not the most interesting. She's basically just cannon fodder. You know, and so, so are the rest of the teenagers. The interesting part of the film is Freddy Krueger. And actually, the film spends very little time. There's very little Freddy Krueger in this and quite a surprisingly small amount. Uh, his bits are good, I'm not going to lie. You know, there, you know it's the, there's some merit to the film. But the film and the plot spends a lot of its time talking about Nancy having her, she can't sleep, yeah, fine, you know. And it, and it sort of goes a bit cyclical, really. It's Nancy can't sleep, but she falls asleep. Freddy comes after her. Nancy does the same thing. It sort of rinse and repeat a little bit. So, yeah, it, I think the, probably as the franchise went on, they realised that Freddy Krueger was actually a much more interesting character. But in this first film, I failed to see what the fuss was all about a little bit. And I thought it was a bit surprising that Freddy Krueger really is, you know, he, he be, kind of barely in his own film. That's what I found surprising. Okay. Dave, so Alex says mm -hmm. the story's a bit repetitive, and that Freddy is used in very small amounts. I mean, this can work wonders, say, you know, for example, Sounds of Lambs or Beetlejuice. But mm -hmm. if it's if you're going into it thinking that it's going to all be about this, you know, horrific, iconic villain and he barely features in it, then maybe you might be a bit disappointed. Uh, how, how do you think about it? I don't, I don't think that's as much of an issue. I mean, bear in mind he's iconic now. At the time, he wasn't, you know, when this film came out, and we got to really judge it at the time it came out. Yeah, think of the shark in Jaws, basically. You know, the uh, you don't see it for half the film. Just because there's a shark on the poster doesn't mean you're going to come away disappointed because you didn't see it for a bit. You know, Freddy Krueger is a real menace in this. I know the character of, of Freddy Krueger has kind of transcended the genre and transcended the, these films. And I know he's kind of a parody figure now. I'm sure he had a, a, a song that charted at some point, sung by uh, Robert Englund. <laughs> did he, Gav? I'm sure you'd know if anyone knows. I, I, I think he did, to be honest. I know he had his own spin-off TV show as well. Yeah, Will Smith also did a, a fantastic song. Yeah. I think it was a parody of his Fresh Prince song, but it was brilliant. Yeah, you see, there you go. This is, the, this is how iconic this character became. At the time of the film's release, though, that's not what they were going for. That's just what he became, you know, as the series progressed. At the time of Nightmare on Elm Street coming out, he is a really menacing figure. You know, none of the parody elements are there at this point. This is a real threat. And, you know, Alex referred to, you know, the sort of the, the tropes that we've seen before in started with Halloween, I suppose, uh, with John Carpenter carried on with Friday the 13th. 
and carried on to a degree with this one insofar as you know you got the the same sort of thing of teens being stalked by a, a killer they can't fight off but this is so much different in a lot of ways for one thing like alex says it occurs in their dreams you know that is something we haven't seen before that is completely fresh uh it's a simple story sure but it brings something very new to the table inside so far this uh this blurring of reality and the dream world that is fresh you don't know when well nancy doesn't know when she's asleep when she's awake as the viewer you don't know either it blurs it very well so you, you never really know when the threat is coming it's not like you see her nod off and you're waiting for something to happen it can just come out of the blue because she doesn't even realize that she's dozed off at this point. So uh, for that reason, I think it's it's very fresh and very different. You know, it's uh, brings something very different to the genre. You know, it's it's a very overworked genre, the teen slasher, but this is a real superior example of it. And one of the reasons why it became so popular. And also a lot of that is down to Freddy, though he's used fleetingly, you know, too much of a good thing can, can really detract from how good a character he is. He's not just a mute faceless stalker he's not another mike myers that's just like a zombie walking around or another jason Voorhees hidden behind a hockey mask never communicating he has personality he has lines it's a real performance that robert england has had to deliver here he's not just a stuntman who's there to take a pratfall every now and again you know it's a real performance and a real different kind of slasher villain than we're used to seeing so although it is very much in the teen slasher genre there's so much more going on here there is so much more that is different and so much more that's really refreshing. Even now, as viewers of a, a long-standing genre, you can still look back at this one and say, you know, this one really tried to do something very different. Thank you very much for that, Dave. So, Joel, Dave says that this is a very iconic villain taking his first fair of steps into the cinema. And, you know, he became something huge from then. And this is a different type of slasher villain that we're used to seeing. You're a bit of a horror aficionado. What what do you think? I don't know why you're laughing. It's true, <laughs> but what what, what what do you think? What would you agree with that? Would you say that yeah, this this was something different at the time, and maybe still is something different, or do you think that that your opinions and your knowledge of Freddy Krueger and A Nightmare of Elm Street over the years has warped your your viewing of this film? Um, I think it's possibly a bit of both. I think. Dave mentions, you know, the fact that Freddy Krueger's got lines. He's not just like a silent killer like Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees. But I think sometimes that is actually to his detriment. You know, we mentioned like parodies and things. You can mention Scary Terry, for example. Like last year, I remember one of my quiz, quiz questions being around my favorite kind of Freddy Krueger kill where he, it, it's not in this one, but I think it's in number three or number four, but he like, pulls um one of the teenagers into the screen and he says welcome to prime time bitch and like he's almost like saying all these quips and stuff you think of scary terry when he's like boy you sure to say bitch a lot rick you know and it's like <laughs> he's not meant to be funny but he is he's kind of become like this funny character like even in the first kill in this film uh where he's stalking i think it's tina and he, he like kind of chops off his fingers on the screen and Again, it's almost like comedic the way he does it. It's not it's not like scary or terrifying, or, especially if that was a dream, you know, and you know that you're dreaming. It, it just wouldn't be scary. And I think just talking about the plot, I want to talk about the ending as well. Um, so essentially the way they defeat Freddy Krueger is he kind of feeds off their fear. Um, and to prove that he's not or they aren't afraid, they just turn the back. And I just think that's just such a weak cop-out of a 
ending or, or like a plot device to try and wrap up the film. You know, I, I could say I'm not scared of like a grizzly bear or something and turn around, but it still like smash my head off, you know. <laughs> so I, I, the fact that she turns around and then he just like melts away is just ridiculous. And it's just such a poorly done and weak ending that it just kind of removes the whole aspect that it's going for. So I think overall, the fact that Freddy Krueger is this legendary character, yeah, he's the fact that he can invade your dreams. You know, you're not safe. He's got the kind of claws for his hands and he's just such an original character as well. But it, it's just, it just doesn't add up to a good film. I, I think it's just, you know, people remember him for the character he is, how original his character is and, you know, all that stuff is correct. But as an actual film, it, it just doesn't, you know, it, it, the sum of all its parts just don't work. Okay, th- thank you very much. Ozzy, have you got something to come back on there? Yeah, I just wanted to talk about that ending, actually. Is that I, 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 the thing with the ending is they kind of set that up throughout. Is that, that being one of the things that uh, Johnny Depp's character says to me? You know, he said, oh, I read about these, uh, this, this uh, tribe of people who believe in dreams, you know, and that you, if you can see what's the truth in the dreams and all that stuff. So he said he doesn't believe it, but he talks about this and he, he sets that up as being a, um, the premise that, that that's the way to to forget about your fears and to to do this you have to turn away but in actual fact that's not the real ending of the film is it so that so that happens and then he disappears and then she gets out of the dream and you think oh wow everything's perfect but then you're set up for the sequel do you know what I mean they get trapped in the car as they're driving away and you know it's almost though everything's good and proper you don't really know whether she's woke up from the dream or not or whether she's she's died or whatever and you know it's just like another another world but she's back into another nightmare because they get then captured in the car and you know probably presumably killed off and, the, and then the mum gets dragged back through the door so it, it, the ending is kind of a little bit more of a freddy still around type thing rather mm. than that she actually defeated him by turning away but like yeah i do i do get that as the uh, that if that was the ending you'd be like yeah that's a bit a bit shit but actually i think it added more more questions you know to it rather than uh and answering things it was almost like oh shit are they still dreaming or is she dead or well you know what's going on here so i i, I thought it really was a good setup for building a franchise okay but was it necessarily thinking about building the franchise at that point in time though no i think the i think the idea was to just try and keep it a, 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 an interesting ending you know a scary ending if you, if you watch a horror film you leave it thinking oh everything everyone everything's good and proper then you don't you're not leaving scared are you, you want to leave scared and and you think the whole point of it is to be scared, and I think that was the idea behind the actual ending. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and Dave, so this obviously did turn into a massive franchise with lots of different sort of merchandise opportunities, and you mm. know, Robert England became synonymous with the character, maybe to the detriment of of the IP, because I don't think they'll ever be able to make another Nightmare on Elm Street now without Robert England's involvement. At the time, I, I seem to remember it was more of a serious film but then later on it did become a bit of a comedy um i I want to ask you about direction basically it was a very sort of cheap film if i remember correctly to make but it made the studio an absolute bomb and i think from there the films then became more bigger budget and more comedic but initially like this this first one how how is that handled by the by the studio uh, well, you're absolutely right to say it's a small budget. It had um, a budget of 1.1 million, I believe, which which was pennies. This is a low budget horror film. You know, it's done very basically. You know, even you can see it in the effects. You know, you can the effects are, are old school effects. They're effective. 
but you can tell they didn't cost a lot of money. You know, it's really going back to the old Tom Savini way of doing special effects, which is quite admirable. And it did make an absolute killing for New Line Cinema. They were mostly known as distributors, pretty small fry distributors at the time. They actually helped produce this film with Wes Craven, who was the writer-director, and um, New Line Cinema made upwards of $57 million off this wow. film alone, essentially turning them from a small-time player into one of the biggest producing companies that we still have today. And that's why New Line is called The House That Freddie Built by many inside the industry. Uh, yes, Gav? I was just going to say, it's like buying a shitty Pokemon card on eBay and then selling it for like eight <laughs> times its value, wouldn't you say, Joel? <laughs> Wouldn't know anything. <laughs> it's a little like that. Only, only you bought a good Pokemon card to start with, and then you made a killing on it. If I, if I may be so bold, okay. um, but you're absolutely right. This was this was um, a huge win for New Line Cinema. This film, and it did start off as a very serious film. You know, Wes Craven wrote this. He directed this, and his direction. I think he's really. Uh, it's really on point. Obviously, him being the writer, he knew where he wanted to take the story. He knew when he wanted to develop characters, when he didn't want to develop characters. He knew how to direct this. He knew this story inside and out. Wes Craven was the man for the job. And he's very efficient in his style of directing um, and shoots the film really well, to be honest with you, using some interesting techniques, particularly when it comes to the death of Tina, you know, inverting the room and mm. the set so that she can be pulled up, as it were, up onto the ceiling. She's actually just falling down onto the floor. It just looks like a ceiling. Same thing used with Johnny Depp's death. Uh, Glenn, I think his character is called, where he's pulled into the bed and then this oh, like yeah. geyser of blood erupts yeah, from his bed. That's actually that. the room once again being spun and then just basically letting rip on a vat of blood that then just pours out onto the floor. You know, simple techniques, but they look so effective, especially yeah. with Wes Craven's photography, especially with, you know, having good special effects masters on board. This is simple stuff. This is cheap stuff, but it's effective. And so I think Wes Craven did a fantastic job on this. And although, yeah, the film became kind of a parody of itself later down the line, you know, it came a bit, a bit more comedic. I think they were just trying to keep it fresh as the series went on. At the end of the day, Newland Cinema owed a huge debt to Wes Craven, to Robert Englund and to Nightmare on Elm Street for what this initial film did. So I think if they wanted to keep making them, New Line Cinema are always going to have, you know, they're always going to have friends on the board, so to speak, for what they mm -hmm. did for the production company. So in order to keep it fresh, I think, yeah, the the genre, well, sorry, the, the franchise evolved over time. But this primary instance, it is a serious horror film. This is a menacing, terrifying horror film. Okay. Uh, Alex, cheap but effective. It, People have used the exact same words to describe your wardrobe, have they not? <laughs> effective. That's a compliment. That's a compliment you recorded it. Uh, <laughs> look, like, you know, Dave said that it is a... Hor you know, a, a, a you know, an effective, scary horror film. It was a scary horror film, and you know that's the maybe your judgment has got to be: should it be judged at the time? You know, in 1984, but should it? You know, it's imp I think it's impossible to do. When you look at it now, it's very hard to take it as seriously as as that. You know, especially because some of the some of the effects are good, like Dave's right. You know, the inverted rooms and stuff like that. That 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 is good, and there's some stuff where characters sort of pushing out of walls and stuff like that and you and you do even now you are thinking wow that you know that's that's good for now and it must have been very good for then the rest of the direction is quite like the, all the stuff where people are talking or the sort of just the standard day-to-day -day stuff that's pretty just not good i would say it's a bit low below par uh, what, what you would imagine a film that's low budget to be like but you know that is what it is like there are also some of the effects which don't work. And I'd say the first time you see Freddy is a bit, I was a bit, I found it a bit of a shame because 
you know, you, t- you turn around and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to see Freddy Krueger, the guy with the knives, you know. And he's just got these big arms <laughs> the waving down, <laughs> down <laughs> this alleyway. And Sounds I was like just like... pissed on a night over. <laughs> 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 it was <laughs> coming for a big hug. You know... I've got a video like, of you walking home on your uh, stag do. That's how that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but 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 a bit more uh, a bit more stable, I think. Up, yeah, <laughs> but it, isn't the premise of that to be that because you're in a dream world that the guy can shape shift? Look, yeah, no, look, look. I'm not I'm not arguing with the plot point of it. I'm just saying it looks shit. And you know, and and, <laughs> and for the fact and for the fact that that's the first time you saw Freddy Krueger, and you're just like, what the fuck is that? It looks like two guys. Two guys are on either side of him with fishing poles on on under on his arm pole, which, by the way, I looked it up and is exactly so much <laughs> exactly what it is. So th- this is the problem with the film. Like at the time, probably very good and very effective, but now and there are bits that are comedic within it. It's not all the way through series. There are bits like that where you just go, "Oof, really?" And uh, and I and I think even though there is good bits in it like you know the inverted room or something like that that the fact that the rest of it is a bit sort of just paint by numbers low budget direction is it, it i just echo what joel said before it's like we, we do maybe owe a debt to nightmare on elm street but it's a bit fucking unwatchable now in 2021 and thank you very much but rest in peace okay Ozzy alex says that these effects look a bit cheap i mean i remember it being quite good practical effects those scenes that dave just spoke about then they refreshed my memory and yeah i remember them being pretty awesome but then when it's i was just talking like about six at the time Kev, so. yeah i mean anything's good when you're six um no i, no, I don't want to say that um, <laughs> <laughs> you made that weird <laughs> you might have been one of the you might have been one of the kids that freddie would have killed which equally makes it scary that the guy's a child killer true well, why would you want to kill me out of everybody else I mean, of all of the five of us, I'd say you were the most uh, <laughs> killable. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, you're right. Uh, but Alex, Alex is right at times. You know, they had a very limited budget, and I think the money was really it was incredibly well spent. And you can see where things have been very frugal, and and they've done a great job and a very creative job on things. Those those stuff are super effective, and they've really got the money's worth out of so many good things and then there are a few bits which let it down when you watch it trying to i mean maybe not trying to be let down there are a few things like the arms i think i'm going to concede that that is a little bit hokey but we're and then they've managed to really maximize the practical effects to other points like the being set on fire thing you know they have the guy from ghostbusters running up the stairs uh, as a stuntman sorry he's um he's apparently the go-to fireman and um and he and he went well over and above what was asked of him you know basically he was meant to get set on fire run to the end of the room get me the guy from ghostbusters and he holds the pictures up on the first day he's the stay puff man yeah but, and, but uh, what i mean what i'm trying to get is that people really went over and above to make this scary and to make mm-hmm. this you know um not like not believable but to make it surreal and because it's surreal you can get away with with some of the um some of the more hokey, uh, you know, pieces. Okay, so Joel, Ozzy says that you can get away with some of the hokey shit if you've got a good story behind it. One thing that might might impact that though is having a shit cast. If you, if you don't have very good actors, or you don't have very well developed characters. So, have you got anything that you want to add about either of those? Yeah, I would say 
you know, obviously Freddy is like a legendary character and he is portrayed very well. But the rest of the cast, there's no other word for it. It's just shockingly shit. <laughs> <laughs> there's no other words that you could use to describe the cast. No other words at all. Even if Roger Ebert were to be reviewing this, he would describe them as shockingly shit. <laughs> so I, I think Roger Ebert a... was at a real loss. He would have loved to have <laughs> coined that phrase. <laughs> I'll just His give you an example. That the His editor uh... was like, you can't print this, Roger. It's like, it's all I've got, mate. It's all I've got. Yeah, I'd rather not review it if I'm not allowed to use <laughs> so the first scene where where tina dies and she's getting like thrown across the room so that kind of starts like she's asleep with her boyfriend and um, obviously she she's like screaming she she awakens the boyfriend is like you know a bit confused i've given the benefit of the doubt you know if you get woken up like that you might be like what's the best thing to do here but he just kind of backs into a corner and when the slash opens up on her chest and she's like being thrown around the room, he's just in the corner and he's like, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, no. And it's just, it is the the worst acting. Like, I know they've got a low budget, but it's just no excuse to hire like some of the some of the caliber of these actors and just absolutely terrible. Like Nancy, she's meant to be like kind of the main character that you're meant to get behind. I wanted Freddy to kill her. Like, <laughs> a good 20, 30 minutes into the film, I was just thinking, I, I Freddy, like, I can understand why you're annoyed with these people now. <laughs> because you're meant to hate him. You know, he's a child killer, child molester. and That's libel. I don't think they ever said he was a child molester. They do later on, I think. Oh, that do is, they? That is, seen the one yeah. film. Um, no, you're just judging him because he works as a janitor. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> you're saying he must be. Well, that's why but, I thought he was so scary. Because he was yeah, a janitor. Well, he's a janitor. Kept, that kind of brings <laughs> me full hands. circle to, to like the whole reason of Freddy being there, just to kind of go off topic slightly for a second. Like In the film, they kind of discuss that Freddy's like this vengeful spirit who's come back for revenge. But in this first film, he's a child killer, right? So he kills kids and then the parents kill him and he's pissed off at that and it just doesn't make sense. Like, he's pissed well, off I mean, he's that dead. the parents killed him for killing their kids. Like, yeah, the whole dead. reason for him being there doesn't make sense. If you think of something like Jason Voorhees, he gets his, like, his whole mantra from his mom. Like Michael Myers, he's like a sadistic killer who's, who's after like certain individuals. Freddy's whole reason for being just doesn't make sense. Vengeful spirits. Well, I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's the most ridiculous thing. And couple that with back to the main point, the shockingly shit acting. And it, <laughs> it just ruins the entire film, especially when you watch it with today's eyes. You know, I realize it's 1984, but we can't just erase like the last 20 years. If you're coming, <laughs> if you're coming into this fresh as like, you know, teenagers today, you, you, you're just not going to enjoy it. I, I will say, unfortunately, Joel, it's been more than 20 years since 1984. Which is very, very, I know it's very depressing. It is very depressing. Like, but I will say that I, I, I do imagine there are a lot of criminals in prison right now who have committed heinous crimes and aren't like, fair enough, <laughs> I got caught. That's it, fair enough. I imagine they're probably a bit pissed off that they've got caught. Even though they, they did horrible things and they've been arrested for it, they're probably annoyed that they've been arrested. They don't know what's just going, fair enough, yeah, I deserved it. Dave, I agree with that. Shockingly shit. I mean, oof, that, very harsh words. I mean, I, 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 I think it's got a pretty decent cast, isn't it? Johnny Depp in one of his first appearances, John Saxon, mm-hmm. horror legend. Yeah, I'm going to tell you all this, Judge. I'm going to tell okay, you all. Go on, yeah, yeah, tell, tell, tell us all. Tell us all. Go on. 
Uh, it's got Johnny Depp in it, Gav. <laughs> One oh, of his first appearances. Oh, really? And John Saxon's in it as well. Oh, horror, horror legend, John Saxon. I, I had to stop you before you basically just took every point I had to make about the cast. <laughs> yeah, I, I disagree with a lot of Joel's points there, to be honest with you. I thought Amanda Weiss, who played uh, Tina Gray, was pretty good. She's obviously she's the first protagonist, as it were, the person you think is about to be the protagonist, and then gets killed off after about the half-hour mark. Again, a bit of a surprise. I thought she was pretty good. I mean, she, all she had to really do was be scared. But she did that pretty well. Uh, Nick Corey as uh, Rod, her boyfriend. Yeah, he was all right. It's, uh, it was fine. Nothing nothing to shout home about at all. He was there really for cannon fodder more than anything else. I thought uh, Heather Langenkamp as Nancy was actually pretty good, to be honest with you. I don't think she had much experience acting before this. I thought she actually did a decent job, like essentially holding down the film on her own. You know, Robert Englund isn't there on screen that much, as we, as we discussed. And he was the most experienced actor they had, I'd say. Um, Robert Englund is, is fantastic as Freddie. There's a reason why this character took off so much uh john saxon who plays heather's uh, estranged father who's also lieutenant of the local sheriff's department i thought he was great in this i thought john saxon really delivered a decent performance here uh and was really solid and really held the film together in a lot of ways the, the adults in this film they, they don't help the kids at all it's like the kids are out on their own the adults don't believe them they they don't help them they don't they you know even when uh heather langenkamp says to a dad you know please cook just in break into the house, house in 10 minutes. Break into the house in 10 minutes. I'm going to drag Fred Krueger out. And he's like, yeah, sure, okay. And then you don't say the 10 minutes comes and goes. He's pissing around in Johnny Depp's bedroom somewhere, looking at the carnage around him. And it's just like the, the adults are almost like unwillingly aiding and abetting Freddy Krueger here. It's like the kids are up against this on their own. And that is a real... Uh, a real key point of this film and the kids have got to basically hold the film on their own as well because the adults are nowhere to be found when they need them so i thought heather langenkamp did a great job i thought johnny depp was fine one of his earlier roles uh, john saxon i say was pretty good and other than that it's a pretty small cast to be honest with you like i said they didn't have a great deal of budget to work with but those actors that they employed did a solid job okay thank you very much dave alex anything to come back on that I mean, just to echo Joel's shockingly shit statement, to be honest, <laughs> I, that is the one I go with. I always think, I think there's a problem, there's a kind of a paradox in horror that you you do have sort of small budgets like this and actually acting in a horror film is quite demanding, I think. You know, you've got to put a lot of emotion, you've got to show a lot of like fear, tense, tension, worry. And on a budget of that much, you're not going to get a lot of very good actors and they didn't, to be honest. And the best one is Robert Englund. And he's barely, he's not in it enough. You know, a lot of what Robert Englund does is running after uh, Heather Langen, uh, camp. And, you know, there's only a few bits really where you get to see his face and he actually does some interesting stuff. And you are like, oh, that's amazing. But most of the rest of the time you are watching subpar actors. And I'd include John Saxon in that. Sorry, Dave. I, I just didn't think he did a. a bit, <laughs> sorry, uh, I'm not. Don't don't look at me, Dave. Don't look at me. I, I just didn't think he did a very good job. I also think the mum, Ronnie Blakely, uh, Marge Thompson. I, I thought she was like like sort of a negative presence in the film somehow. I think she actually sort of detracted massively from 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 every scene she was in. So no, it's not a good cast and. You know, again, when Joel said, you know, these things do matter, especially what thirty-seven years later. You know, you you, you can't just pretend that that time didn't happen. It, it's it, it's just not a good enough cast. And the only one who's good, the one you want to see more most of, Robert England, you don't see anywhere near enough of. 
poor John Saxon. Poor late John Saxon. <laughs> I'm sorry, John at least, Saxon's at least and... when I took a pop at Dick Miller, he was still with us and could <laughs> and could arguably that, come back at me. That severely limits our, our ability to criticize that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will also worse, say, Dave. It gets worse every year, man. <laughs> I will also say that didn't Dick Miller pass away? Quite soon after that episode, as well. <laughs> he did. I don't he want to say he's so upset. <laughs> but, but, but he would have been able to hear my apology as well. Or maybe he only got my, halfway through the episode. My acknowledgement, <laughs> <laughs> my acknowledgement that I was bullshitting. <laughs> okay, uh, and very finally, Ozzy, anything that you want to come back on there about a shockingly shit cast? Anything that you want to sort of put the final nail in the coffin any any the final words that you want to say about Nightmare Why would Ozzy put the final nail in the coffin when he's defending it this <laughs> casket's staying open removing man. the nail <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know what for me I, I was uh, pleasantly surprised re-watching it again you know I, I think it was still scary I actually think the acting of the guys here are um, you know shockingly shit is a is a terrible way to describe it because I don't think that's the case at all I think I, I think you can forget about the the 37 years between it coming out and and now uh yes tastes have changed but it's still scary the story is still scary and actually i think the acting is, is they capture the characters well even as dave says you know that that um you know like johnny depp's character he's not in it for that long uh rod lane the, that guy he's not in it that long but he does his character well he's a little bit menacing he's a little bit of a the high school a bad boy you know the the guy who's just a, a bit of a troublemaker I think everybody plays their part really well, and I, I, I just beg to disagree. To be honest with you, about about the the, the acting, I thought it was really well, and I think the the, uh, the adults do a good job of being dismissive. They they act as adults, and you know, and they just pass it all off. And I just think it's it makes it relatively believable in what's a very surreal film. So for me, I think it's a it's a really good uh, really good film, um, real horror film. So. It's a good film. Set up loads of loads and loads of other stuff. It's a good film. Right. Okay, <laughs> thank you very much, Ozzy. Okay, waiting any, for any... you to jump in. Gabby was just like, "It's a good film." Um, it's a good <laughs> film. <laughs> I was just waiting for him to naturally wind down. That's not how, that's not how I work. You should know this by now. That's not what happens. I just keep talking until somebody yeah, yeah, interrupts yeah. me, and that's why I interrupt everyone else. That's how it, that's how my mind works. You, you like a, you're like an excitable dog. You know, you got to take it out for a big long run and hope that you can tire it out, <laughs> and then it'll just fall asleep in the corner. <laughs> So, anybody got anything final to add before we move on to something a very rare occasion? No, it's uh, well, we'll move straight on then. The rarest of rare, we've got a quiz. I'm excited for Elsie's quiz to be honest because you just never know. Like, that I remember a shark quiz that was like two questions <laughs> and that it was like Discovery Channel. Shit. <laughs> Do you remember that essay question he said us once? <laughs> <laughs> It didn't really work well for the podcast, but, but, what, but what a question. Um, so are we on to the quiz then? Do you want to hear about the yeah, quiz? Yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there were two two natural um, options here, and that was going to be famous trees in movies. Um, <laughs> but, but I ran out after the Weeping Willow, um, the Whomping Willow, and, and, and this Elm on Elm Street, really? or uh, famous streets. Um, so I've gone with streets. So anyway, here's the quiz. You have to tell me... <laughs> um, who lives on on this street or name the street in the film? Okay, so, sounds good. So, uh, we'll start with a relatively easy one. <laughs> what street does a maths obsessed vampire, a bickering gay couple, and a garbage hoarding hoarding tramp live on? 
Sesame. Correct. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> one of the greatest pie shops in all of London is on this street. Bam. Oh, shit, no. <laughs> where, um, oh, where the fucking, where, where Sweeney Todd lives? Fleet Street. Correct. Sweeney Todd and, and Fleet Street. Mrs. Hudson is the landlady to this crime fighting. Baker Street. Yes, oh. well done. This film's protagonist uh, enjoyed making soap at this street, named after a key piece of stationery. But he's not really allowed to talk about it, though. Uh, it's Fight Club, but I don't know the name of the street. It it's named after stationery, Ruler Street, <laughs> Rubber Road. More, more, more <laughs> substantial piece of stationery, like uh, probably Compass the Lane. The, the most important <laughs> piece of stationery. Protractor. <laughs> Protractor. <laughs> it's it's, it's it's Paper Street. I don't know how uh, big a point of the film the, the street that he lives on is, but you know, I'm sure there's some real Fight Club. Yeah, but wasn't that, number, that. wasn't that the third rule of Fight Club? Don't talk about what street you live on. Don't give anyone yeah, if, your address. Yeah, if, if, the, if the police arrive, we'll meet up later on on Paper Street. Yeah. <laughs> Next question. The Freelings live on this suburban cul-de-sac, built on an Indian burial ground. Name the street in the movie. Oh, Poltergeist Road. It is Poltergeist and the well, street, probably not a massive part of the film, but maybe being massive it, horror it, aficionados. Anything to do with, with Poltergeist? It is Poltergeist. Uh, it's got a lot to do with, it's got something to do with large stones and... Boulder Lane. Well, Roxbury Street. <laughs> oh, ancient burial ground, right? <laughs> <laughs> You got more than you bargained for, Lane. <laughs> um, done that guy. Ropes Mansion is a Georgian-style house in the middle of Salem. What a uh, quintessential Halloween film. Uh, what, what baddies live here? Is it, is it one the, of your faves, Ozzy? Probably my, my second favorite Halloween film of all time. Wow. Oh, after God. Nightmare on Elm Street, I'm guessing. After Nightmare on Elm Street. After, <laughs> I was going to say after Nightmare Before Christmas. Is it a bit like Lolita? Maybe. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't remember the name of the sisters. What to begin with? An S. Uh, they have, yeah, I think they, I think they begin with an S. Yeah, the Sandersons. Oh, the Sanderson oh, sisters, yeah. yeah. Hocus Pocus. It is Hocus Pocus, well done. What about this guy? So uh, Elijah Wood... Uh, Spent a bit of time with some rowdy football fans on this street. Oh, green. Correct. Well done. Good guess. I was either yeah. that or it was going to be The Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been a very different well, film. That, We're gonna, well, that's what happens. The next We're going to go is, fucking melt this fucking ring. <laughs> <laughs> As it happens, the next one is all about Elijah Wood's uh, eccentric uncle, leaving him a cursed piece of jewellery at, uh -huh. uh, at this street. Oh, um, small feet lane. Well, not small feet lane. Giant feet lane. Come on. Guys. Oh, so yeah. they have, they have, yeah, they're, they're small with with big feet, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, um, I don't know. I've, I've got no idea. So it's bag end. Bag end. Bag no way. No, <laughs> no way. No way. Bilbo Baggins lives in somewhere called Bag End. <laughs> Dude, that, that's true. That's true. That's in the book. Yeah. 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 Hang on, Did he... Name the, the house, or did he move into somewhere that was called Backend? <laughs> you know what? I've not looked into uh, the etymology of the Hobbit street names. 
I reckon <laughs> Tolkien Tolkien wrote maybe a little too much about the law of Lord of the Rings. He probably did talk about his property prices and stuff like that. <laughs> shy. I wouldn't have been surprised. Did a, did a whole town all. plan for whole, yeah, yeah, do you know what I mean? Oh. <laughs> yeah. oh. This uh this young uh student lives at 20 Ingram Street in Queens. He's uh, a neighbor of Captain America. Mr. Peter Parker. It is Mr. Peter Parker. Well done. Right about oh. himself. By this one, there is a mysterious-looking black dog, which can uh, sometimes be seen at 12 Grimold Place. But what does this dog normally go by? What name is it normally called? Sirius. It is Sirius. Well done. Well done. Bonus point if you can guess either one of the films that you... Uh, now he's in three, wasn't he? I don't know. I, well, Dave, you can have three points to get all of them. I think he started... <laughs> first one was Prisoner of Azkaban. He's got a brief cameo in Goblet of Fire, and he... So I was about to give a huge spoiler away. He's in Order of the Phoenix, finally. <laughs> the spoiler is this. Is he taking ill? No, he's, he's not actually a dog. That's the spoiler. <laughs> is, it, is it Gary? Is Gary Oldman playing? Yeah, it's yeah, Gary Oldman, yeah. yeah. That's the spoiler. Uh, <laughs> um, and what about uh, who struggles to remember why she needs to get to 42 Wallaby Way? 42 Wallaby Way. Wallaby Way. I've got no idea. Deborah Logan. <laughs> oh, oh no! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> On a lighter note, when you said the street name, the first thing I thought was Wallace and Gromit, but they live at West Wallaby Street, don't they? Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot about those guys. Much lighter note. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I mean, maybe on a similar lightness to the actual film that this is from. Uh, Paddington. No, no. I'm sorry. Paddington would have been a good one as well. It's actually uh, Dory from Finding Nemo. Ah. Uh, Wallaby Way makes sense because it's in Sydney, isn't it? The, uh, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Classic, classic Australian street name. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> They're not subtle. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then finally, which absolutely incredible um, quartet do their business at Baxter Building, 42 Second Street in New York. Bam. The Fantastic Four. That is the Fantastic Four. Well done. And uh, well, that rounds up the quiz. I had a few others, but... Um, it's a bit tedious without Joel here. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Ozzy. That was a that was a hell of a quiz. Yeah, well done, man. And it was a quiz as well, which is a good quiz. <laughs> yeah, it's what I was. Not only was it a good quiz, Ozzy, it was a quiz. It was a <laughs> actual <laughs> quiz for people. Yeah. I'm so surprised. Um, okay, so I have not had any time to review my notes here because not only did uh, I, I spend so much time focused on winning the quiz. But also uh, my laptop crashed and I potentially lost the recording. So I've been frantically trying to fix that. So I haven't you you say it like it's a laptop's fault, but you didn't plug it in, did you? <laughs> yeah. And we, you told us about that you hadn't plugged it in and we all said you should plug that laptop. Yeah, in. at the start of the episode, it's like, should I charge my laptop? And the response unanimously, yeah, you know. <laughs> charge that laptop, get that charged. I said to you all, though, that if... If I was to charge it, I would have to remove either my camera or my mic or my mic. You know, I've got too many things connected. We'd to be it. fine with both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, usually I can record an episode on 100% battery if everybody arrives here on time. Not pointing any fingers, right? Not pointing any fingers. <laughs> but anyway, right. So I, I listened to what Alex and Joel said, and you know, they mentioned about, about it being a bit of a repetitive story and the fact that you're attracted to a nightmare on Elm Street because. You want to see Freddy Krueger, you know, he's this synonymous villain and he doesn't really appear that much, but it does sound like the character 
became huge afterwards. So maybe going into this initially, there wasn't that expectation. And with regards to the story being quite repetitive, Alex said it, it, it did feel a little bit repetitive. She goes to sleep and then she's terrorized by Freddy. I quite like what Dave said as well, and that it's blaring the reality. Sorry, it's blaring reality and dreams. And at the time, it felt a bit fresh. So even though it, it might be repetitive now, or maybe it was a little bit repetitive back then, at least it was still refreshing and new. It did sound like some of the performances were a bit hokey. I know that Dave said all of them were great, but I've been stung before by Dave when it comes to performances. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what everybody can agree on is that Robert England as Freddie was very, very good. And I think that it, he, I really like what Dave said as well about it being a real performance, it, not just a faceless silent villain. I know that Alex and Joel said that there was that aspect of it just being rinse and repeat from other slasher films, but this did feel like something new something different at the time i think that as the years have gone on and horror has become more demanding and darker and horrific maybe something like this will look a bit aged and maybe look a bit poorer quality but i think that the fact that as dave was saying it was made on such a small budget and that nearly 40 years ago but it was still able to come up with some really memorable scenes and some creative deaths that we're still talking about 40 years on and it can create a character that would not just become super popular within its own franchise, but would almost transcend this film and become something of a pop culture icon in a way. I think for that, it's got to end up on the hit list. So thank you very much, Ozzy and Dave. <laughs> Apologies, Alex and Joel. I will say that my judgment was based off your arguments. But I would like to say that I'd find this a victory, a victory for Suspiria and for, <laughs> for Demon Knight, Event Horizon, <laughs> Reanimator, Halloween 3, Buzz, Midsummer, both Pet Cemeteries, and every other horror film that I think is decent that I have either reviewed or ever will review on this podcast. This one is for you guys. Just, just for listeners, Gabby's crying just as, as he's doing. <laughs> Okay, you got so... Eden Lake last week. I don't know why you're so bitter. You won, <laughs> you won your pick. God, like almost 200 films later, and I finally won one. <laughs> uh, okay, so honest opinions. Ozzy, uh, you were the one who picked this, so I imagine yeah. that, that your opinion is quite honest. But anything else you want to add? You know what? I, it isn't nearly as scary or as good as as like i remember but you know i was i was young when i first saw it so i was terrified when i first saw it i still think it's got some scary moments but times have changed and and i think you know the hokiness does play its part once you've seen a, a modern retake you know we've come so far in 37 years about what you need to do to scare people now um mm -hmm. so it's still scary it's still got a good premise but uh yeah and no, i still think it's a good film but it's it's not nearly as good as i remember it being Okay, thanks, Ozzy. Dave, uh, I mean, was it as good as you remember? Was it better? Was it worse? I actually came to Nightmare on Elm Street quite late. I didn't watch it when I was younger, so I think I watched it when I was in my 20s sometime, and I don't see what all the fuss is about, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm not Ooh. a big fan of Nightmare on Elm Street. I think I, I appreciate what it did for New Line Cinema. I appreciate the landmark that it made in terms of the slasher genre and what have you, but I think, yeah, I came, I came to the game too late to really appreciate this one and i think uh, there might be a case to say that you know young viewers who don't have much choice but to start you know approaching it now you know maybe maybe avoid it 
maybe yeah, it might not be for everyone this. I don't think it's aged too well. Performances are all right. I think direction is genuinely very good, and I think it's a really interesting concept. And I think Robert Englund's great. Yeah, the film's got a lot going for it, but it just doesn't appeal to me. I don't see why it's held in such high regard. It's all right. It's pretty good. I don't see why people think it's great, though. Well, fuck me. If Dave didn't like it, then I know where this next one's going to go. <laughs> Alex, what did you think about this? Uh, you know, when you're watching it, you do you do see its influences. Like, I, I'm a big fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And watching this, and I only watched it for the first time a couple of days ago. I was thinking back to, like, the sequences in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I was thinking, yeah, if it wasn't for this, probably that wouldn't have... You know what I mean? It did, it did influence that sort of chasey okay. horror and just the way it was shot. So hugely influ- influential... But I just just shit looking at it now. Just it is just it's just hard to watch it and not think it's a bit shit. And I think for new viewers, definitely would just be like, "What the fuck is this?" But I think even for people going back and looking at it now, I, I just don't think anyone people might appreciate it. They might hold it in high regard. But I'd, I'd really, I'd, I think only the diehard fans would go back and be scared or really enjoy the experience of watching Nightmare on Elm Street. Ooh. Harsh words. I thought it was interesting to watch the... Uh, we watched the trailer straight after for the new, new one. And I just wanted to get a feel for the tone, and the tone is massively different, I think. Yeah. The more, that's the one of the biggest criticisms of the remake, is that like it, it went away with all of the comedy and any, everything that made the, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise feel unique. It was devoid, essentially. It just became another generic Michael Bay-produced horror film. Yeah, you know, because at that time he was producing loads of remakes of popular yeah. horror franchises. Did, like, did, sorry, did Michael Bay make it? He produced it. He, he it, it, it. it. Enough said. <laughs> 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 I, I don't need to see the film. I I, I know what it's like. <laughs> I, I I'm genuinely interested to go. But as I said, I bought the the uh, collection on Blu-ray a while back, and I haven't had. I've been wanting to watch all of them back to back. To be honest. Thought that'd be very good. I remember doing that when I was a kid, and I, I used to love the Nightmare on Elm Street films, especially the hokier, more comedic ones as the series went on. And it's been a while though since I have watched the first one. I have, I've seen the remake and probably a new nightmare much more recently than I've the, the original. So I, I am a bit apprehensive to go back and watch no, it. You'll, to see. you'll like it, Gav. Yeah, I mean, I've got no taste, so... <laughs> you do like shit horror films. Basically, that entire list you said before, you like them, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like so higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which was Eden Lake, which scored 79% critical and 66% audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes. Lower. Higher? I'm going to say higher. Yeah, both It's held in absurdly Eve. high regard. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, well, definitely... So audience scores eighty four percent, so higher, but wow. not massively. Well, I mean, it is really <laughs> the critical one is, is where it's at ninety five percent critical. Rating. Jesus, really? Yeah. Wow! How many reviews? Like... Oh, probably a good few thousands. To be honest. Well, is that because there's a lot of people, a bit like us, who've managed to get themselves critics rated now, isn't yeah, it? Where, and all they do is review horror films. Well, I mean, you make us sound like shit bags, to be honest, does he? We are shit bags. Yeah. You know, our maybe maybe you guys are knowledgeable about films, but in the grand scheme of things, I think our film <laughs> knowledge or tastes are questionable at best. You know, <laughs> hey, hey, 
Hey, we're oh, coming on to 200 episodes, point to one <laughs> where we've got it wrong. <laughs> no, I, take, I take everyone's recommendations here with a pinch of salt. <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, okay, so that well, that's it then. That is it. And our next film hasn't been pulled out of the hat at all because it's the final instalment of our Halloween Horror Month. That's right, Halloween Horror Month comes to an end. And Dave, it's your choice. And you have gone with Don't Look Now. So, Dave, why have you picked this film? Well, I ummed and ahed over for a while. I mean, the brief for Halloween Horror Month this year was films that genuinely had an impact on you, you know, films you genuinely found scary or disturbing. Uh, and I owned an art for ages and found some very disturbing films that I'd watched, but not ones I particularly want to make people watch or discuss at length. <laughs> they were that level of disturbing. And then I found Don't Look Now, which I was reminded of by Alex, which is a very impactful film, which is a very, uh, yeah, a very profound film. Uh, it's got a lot going for it, not just the horror element. <laughs> and I think, yeah, there's a lot we can say about it. There's a lot, uh, there's a good debate to be had here. And ultimately, it is a film I care about a lot and a film I really, really enjoy. And I know I'm not the only one that it affected. Tune in next week to find out what I mean by that. (laughs) (laughs) I I will say as well that Joel messaged today to say that he was surprised that we didn't mention Jack O'Connell's penis in in Lake. (laughs) (laughs) We made it all the way to the end of this episode. We made it all the way through the end of the episode without mentioning it once. And, but I think that there is a bit of an elephant-sized penis in the room when it comes to Don't Look Now. <laughs> we'll definitely make that up next week, I'm sure. I'm, sh- I'm sure we will. I will okay. try and keep us on point and actually have a decent discussion about this iconic film. But uh... well, Donald Sutherland was trying to keep it on point as well, to be honest. <laughs> so it's anyway, a taster of next week. <laughs> shots, shots fired early, yeah. But so uh, that is it. Just want to say thank you very much, everyone, for all your arguments. Thank you very much to anybody who's listened to this episode. If you liked this episode, check out more content, filmsontrial.co.uk. Check us out on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, Films on Trial, or check us out on Twitter at Film Trials. So that is it. A Nightmare on Elm Street is a hit, and we're going to be sadly in your ears for the last time next week for Halloween Horror Month at least. And we're going to, what we're saying here, I've gone massively off topic. We're going, fuck it. <laughs> we're going to do Don't Look Now. <laughs> we're going to do Don't Look Now next week. Tune in. It's going to be great. Okay. Bye. See you later, everyone. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> the only thing I'm going to write in my will is that I, I want all of the films and trials to meet up every single year. Watch Boomer Crow. To its entirety. <laughs> If you that uh, if you do that, Gav, I'm telling Siobhan that you deliberately left the ironing and laughed, <laughs> laughed about it. <laughs> On the off chance you didn't come back. <laughs> At the end of watching Bula Quo, we'll be like, God, Gav was a and then it'll be like, that's why he made us watch it. Do you know what I mean? To, to deal with it better. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So we could remember to, yeah. you. Remember you as you lived. Anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>